Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, the year is progressing. We're actually one-third through the year, which means that we're about to enter into the fourth month of the year. And the Or Gedaliyahu says something very beautiful. He says, if you take the human body, and you take one-third of the human body, that's the mind now connected to the heart. In other words, that's, that's, that's the chunk that we're at right now. And it's actually, it, it syncs very much up with... Um, what the, what the Torah itself says, because we're entering into the, this month of Shvat, which would be, which would be this next um, milestone. The mind and the heart have come together now. And this is where the first day of Shvat is where Moshe Rabbeinu started saying over Sefer Devarim. And Sefer Devarim <coughs> begins with the letter Aleph. So Moshe's prophecy, because remember this is now Moshe speaking, Sefer Devarim, and he's summarizing the entire Torah. So the last book of the Torah, the fifth book of the Torah, he's going over all of the events that we've gone through. It's very instructive. It's the only book of the Torah that begins with the letter Aleph, meaning to say his level of prophecy is so high he's got total clarity. And now he's speaking. And we get total clarity when the mind and the heart come together. This is, this is the great sort of like breakthrough that humanity has been waiting for since, since the Garden of Eden. And if I read the Ramban correctly... When we ate from the tree of knowledge, basically the heart and the mind became separated. And this is really, if you need uh, another definition for what exile is, that is perhaps the, the root of all exile, the mind and the heart being separated. Because then, then just we'll never have true clarity until that moment comes. And um, so... So how do we see this in the world? We see it in the world because this is, this is the turning point. This month is the turning point in nature as well. So if you've been in a place where you have four seasons, you look at the trees, and the trees look absolutely dead, and you can't imagine that ever, there will ever be life from these trees. But that's what they look like on the outside. On the inside, the sap is rising. That's what happens in Shvat. And of course we have in, in Shvat, Tuba Shvat, which is the new year for trees. And, um, and life comes out of these trees. And I heard Reb Shlomo say in the name of the Yishvitzer that people look at themselves in the mirror and, and, and basically, you know, or you look at another person, you, you can't even imagine that there's life left in you or there's life left in another person. And then what happens? All of a sudden, life, life springs again, springtime comes. And so there, there's cycles in time. There's cycles in time, and and this is this is very uh, relevant to where we are in the Torah because the Torah itself, as we know, is the blueprint of reality. If you want to know what's really going on in the world, um, all the rebbe say, look in the, the the weekly Torah portion, and that's going to tell you what's really going on in the world. So it's very instructive that we just began Sefer Shmos, which is beginning with the, basically the, the, just the ins, in, enslavement, the, 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 the horrible, horrible situation that the Jewish people were in, but it's leading quickly toward the redemption. So in other words, just like these trees, right? There's on the outside, it looks utterly broken, and you can't imagine that there's going to be any, any fixing to it. It's gone. You can just write it off. And yet, right below the surface... There it is. It's, 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 the redemption is, is waiting to come out. I want to I talk about all sorts of things. I want to talk about um, assimilation. I want to talk about assimilation in, I, I, I think, a very surprising way. Um, uh, but I want to talk about, just stay on this, this, this idea of sort of this, this surprising path of redemption, how it looks like everything is over and then it turns around. Like, I want to talk about that for a moment. And there's a medrash that I saw that I've, I've just, ever since I saw it, it's just like it's gripped my mind and just not let go. And it's such a radical medrash. And I'm so shocked that I've never heard anybody else talk about this medrash. And it's like, it's right there. The Ramban himself quotes it. At the end of Sefer Shmos, you can see it with your own eyes. There are two different Midrashim which say the same thing that he quotes. It's just a question of what, how long the time span. But otherwise, the, both of the Midrashim are saying the same thing. 
So this is one of our, our greatest Torah authorities, the Ramban, quoting this Medrash. So this is, this is Torah, which is that when Moshe Rabbeinu went to Paro, and we'll, we'll, we'll go over the details of him going to Paro in a moment, God willing, and Paro, it didn't work. Paro made everything harder. Remember, the Jews had this quota to make a certain number of bricks, and it was almost impossible for them to meet that quota. After Moshe comes to Paro, Paro decrees that not only do they have to make the same amount of bricks, but they also have to procure all their own straw for the bricks, which means that Paro took basically an impossible workload, and he doubled or tripled it. Right? That, that was the result of Moshe showing up on the scene. Now remember, before we get to the Medrash, Moshe fought very hard not to go to Mitzrayim to do this. If you look at the, the, the account of the burning bush, it, it seems like it was a, a pretty quick conversation. As epic as it was, it seemed like it was a quick conversation. The Talmud says that it actually lasted for seven days, and for seven days Moshe Rabbeinu said no to Hashem to do this mission. And I heard a very beautiful account. Why didn't Moshe Rabbeinu want to do it? Because Moshe Rabbeinu wanted this to be the, the final exile, or, and, and this to be the ultimate redemption. But it seems that Hashem was telling him that this was going to be the first of many redemptions. And Moshe Rabbeinu was holding fast that this should be the last one. But, but it was hard, seemingly, for, for Moshe to, to, to accept that he was going to, to do this, to take this on. For seven days he said no. And now he goes in on what seems to be an absolutely impossible mission. And I, 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 I just want you to sort of like picture this on a cinematic level, which is the, arguably the greatest empire that's ever existed in world history. I mean, school children to this day in America are learning about this empire. This is how great this empire was. And just picture in the distance this massive empire and picture one man on a donkey with his wife and two kids going toward this massive empire to try to bring out, you know, a million, two million, two and a half million people. Like, how is that? Unarmed. Like, we're not talking about him with, with you know, with mortar fire, machine guns, nothing. Nothing. How is, how is that ever going to happen? And with a serious speech impediment. How is that ever going to happen? Right? So he goes in, and now he gets an audience with Paro, which in itself is like stunning. How did that even happen? Right? And Paro now makes it way worse for the Jewish people. Now, if you were Moshe Rabbeinu at that point, what would you do? What would you do? And now here, listen to what the Medrash says. Remember, the Ramban, the Ramban is bringing this Medrash. Moshe left Egypt. And he left for a period of weeks or months. He just left. He was like, he left. <laughs> this is awesome. This is awesome. And the reason why um, I can't let go of this, and I think I've been talking about this for years, the reason why I can't let go of this is because I think that um, we do ourselves often a, a tremendous disservice when we stop remembering that these are real people that the Torah is describing. And, you know, on the one hand, we want, to, we want to understand their greatness. And so the, the downside of it is, is that, that we'll mythologize them. Now, but in, in doing that, we divorce them from their actual humanity. And, and even more important, and this is actually the main point, we divorce ourselves from that expectation from ourselves to achieve those similar types of things. Because we say, this is some kind of other kind of, I don't even know what this is, but this is clearly not me, and, and I don't have to do any of this, I don't even have to dream of any of these things, I don't have to ask any of these things of myself. 
I mean, but the level of courage, the level of courage that it took for Moshe Rabbeinu to, to, to take this on is, is absolutely extraordinary. You know, when it came to him walking in to see Paro for the first time, the, 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 basically the elders of the Jewish people walked him basically a certain part of the way, and they went, you know, that, that's enough. <laughs> we're, not, we're, not going into, we're not going to go into the inner chamber. You know, so it just gives you a, another level of appreciation of how absolutely terrifying this task was. Now, there's a, there's a Pusik, a verse in, in the Psalms. I'm going to try to find it for you. And um, it's, uh, it's awesome. And the reason why I want to tell it to you is because I've noticed in, 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 in Sifrei Kodesh, in, in very sort of deep, deep Torah books, they're quoting this, this verse all of the time. <coughs> and uh, see if I can see if I can find it. Um, it's in it's quoted in uh, Kiddush Lavana <coughs> in, in close. Which number is it? Okay. Okay. So here it is. It's in it's actually in Song of Songs. Chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. And it says that um, he was standing behind our wall, observing through the windows, peering through the lattices. Okay? Behold, he was standing behind our wall, observing through the windows, peering through the lattices. And the, like the big Rebbes, the big thinkers among among. The, the holy, the holy ones of Israel, really like that, really like that um, excerpt, because what they say is is that that's basically the headquarters of understanding, the appearing and disappearing aspect of redemption in the world. Okay, and they quote the idea that Moshe all of a sudden appears on the scene, and then the next thing you know he's gone, and then he reappears. And this is, this is the lesson for us because, you see, like, imagine a hummingbird. Have you seen a hummingbird fly? So if you think that that hummingbird is like a, um, is like, is, is, is like a, 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 a sprinter running the 100-yard dash, you would say, that sprinter must be drunk. <laughs> Or he must be out of his mind. He's going this way and then he's going that way. What, what is he doing? He's supposed to he's supposed to go in a straight line. So and yet, no, if you understand what a hummingbird does, the hummingbird is flying exactly the way a hummingbird is supposed to fly. Sharp turns, suddenly up, suddenly down, suddenly left, suddenly right, suddenly forward, suddenly backwards. That, that's, that's how a hummingbird flies. But if you don't know that that's how a hummingbird flies, you'll go, that, that bird is insane. What, what is going on with it? So, so the lesson is, is that you have to understand that is also how the redemption happens. And if you think that the redemption happens in a straight line, then you don't understand how it actually works. It's peering through the lattices. It's, it's on the scene, all of a sudden it's gone. All of a sudden it reappears. That, that's, that's, that's how it happens. And this is very, very important for us in our own lives. Because we'll try very, very, very hard. And we'll work very, very hard. And it will be very, very difficult for us to do something. Especially when it comes to serving God in some way. Remember, very important, something that Rabbi Nachman says. He says that if a person tries to dedicate themselves to God, and they're sincere, basically, you know what the conversation in heaven is? It's like this. Oh, he, 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 he wants to, or she wants to do something unholy. Well, um, let's see. Let's see, if they, let's see if they're serious. 
No, yay! Well, it's probably yay too. It's probably yay too. But it's not yay, now it's to make everything easy. It's like, okay, let's see. Let's see if they're serious. Which, again, it's just, I, I mean, I mentioned that, and I, I, I just as a partner piece, just because I always mention it, what the Kutzka Rebbe says, that, that, that the nature of life is a series of tests. You get a test, and if you pass that test, you get a bigger test. You pass that test, you get a bigger test. You fail that test, you get a smaller test. You fail that test, you get a smaller test. You pass that test, you get a bigger test. And it's just backwards and forwards. Just like that. Just through life. So, we pass a test in our own life, and we feel as though, okay. And what I'm talking about is Moshe and the burning bush right now. Let's just make sure that we're, we're in tune with, with the subject matter. But to apply it to ourselves, too. We pass a test that's extremely hard for us to do, but we do it. And then we think at that point, okay, now it's smooth sail. Now it has to be smooth sail. And so Moshe Rabbeinu then confronts this, this thing where he didn't do anything wrong. He did exactly what God told him to do. And now everything all of a sudden is way worse. And his reaction was to leave. Now he comes back, of course. But we, we have to understand, you see, you know, my, my dad, Allah Shalom, was a psychologist. He practiced for 50 years. And he, uh, he had all sorts of insights about human nature. And this one, I'm, I'm sure it's not from him, but he used to say quite a bit, which is that there can be no change without insight. In other words, a person can never change like what's wrong with their life or whatever it is until they figure out what it is that's causing these problems. So first you need insight and then once you have insight then, then genuine change can come. So I want to apply that idea in terms of understanding our life and world events and everything like that until we have insight into how the redemption actually happens we'll be endlessly frustrated. We'll be endlessly frustrated. You see, one of the things that it says in, it says in the Gomorrah and Shabbos that every single person is going to be asked at the end of their life is, did you await the redemption? So we have to yearn for the redemption. But a lot of people who take this very seriously get totally burnt out by this. Because they, you see, if you don't understand that the redemption is coming in this very sort of like amazing way, like it, it, it's happening and then it disappears, and now it's happening again. Like, for instance, to, just without getting into politics at all, just, but just so you understand what I'm saying, you have within a few, within a stretch of hours, a president who votes against Israel, right, or abstains, which everyone understood was a, an actual active vote, it wasn't just abstaining where apparently even the, the land of, you know, the, the Kotel, the holiest Jewish site in the world, is now sort of like question whether that's occupied territory, whether that actually, you know, wh whatever the status of it is, to hours later to another president who has the exact opposite policy, but emphatically the opposite policy. So, again, the, the nature of redemption, you, things, they, they, it just, it just, it just changes. It goes, it, you, you, you don't know how it goes. And there's um, another crucial Pusuk, and very much on this topic, which it's a shot, an explanation from the Vilna Gon, but everyone should know it because it can give you a lot of strength. You know, there, there are certain classic uh, psalms that if someone, God forbid, is sick or needs some help, that they say, maybe, maybe the most famous of all of them is Psalm 121. And it starts off Shir Lomalos, Esa Enai El Harim Ma'ayin Yavo Ezrim. That I, I, you know, a song of ascents, you know, I, 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 I turn, I look with my eyes up to the mountains, and it says, Ma'ayin. It's translated as, From where will my salvation come? But Ma'ayin, um, Ayin, um, can either mean where. Or the letter mem at the beginning of that word means from. It's also a prefix. So if you, you can read the word a different way, says the Vilna Gon. And then ain. Ain means nothing. 
So from out of nothingness, my salvation will come. In other words, it looks like things are totally pointed in one way, and all of a sudden the phone rings, and I've got a job. <laughs> you know? Out of, out of nothingness, out of nowhere, my salvation comes. So, so this is because this is because God is running the world in a, in a very amazing way. And I'll tell you a story just to illustrate this point. Because on the one hand, it's from nowhere. On the other hand, it's, it's not from nowhere. You just didn't see it, you know? So when my first child was born, um, babies can't see very far uh, distance-wise. You can just see like a few inches in front of their face. And, you know, I'm a new parent. I, I, I don't, you know, know what I'm doing. Um, and uh, the, my, my son is crying, he's crying, he's crying. I, you know, obviously I don't want him to be crying, I, you know. And, you know, there are different cries that as you become a more experienced parent, this is a cry of pain, this is a cry of hunger, this is a cry they need their diaper changed. You can start to distinguish between the, the nature of the cries, a, a little bit anyway. Anyway, I don't know what's going on. I just know that he needs something, and I figure out, okay, he's hungry. He needs, he needs some milk. And so, so I make a bottle, and he's just he's screaming, crying. And, of course, it's, you know, tearing me up. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm making your bottle. I'm, 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 the thing that you want, I'm doing that thing. I'm doing that thing right now. But it was all going on right in front of him. He, he didn't have the eyes to see it. Because a child can only see a few inches in front of their face. And I, I'm actually at the point where I have now him in my arms. I have the bottle maybe a foot away, all fully loaded, ready to go in. Like a foot from his face. He's still crying and he still can't see it. And then he gets the bottle in his mouth and, ah, he's good. And I thought to myself, wow, this is all of us. This is all of us. We can't... The, all of these events are happening around us. You know, who, how do you know that there isn't a meeting right now, going on right now, where two people are having coffee discussing you? Saying, you know who would be a good marriage partner for that person? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. How do you know that that conversation isn't happening right now? Right? Or any other thing. Or any other thing. We don't know. We don't know. So on the one hand, it is coming out of nowhere, from our perspective. On the other hand, if you have the eyes to see, and you have expanded consciousness, you understand that an aspect of the goodness of God is that all these events are going around us all of the time. Now, on that subject, it says that, um, it says that part of Paro's plan was basically to kill the the Jewish male children, because his astrologers had foreseen that basically there was going to be a Moshe, there was going to be a redeemer of the Jewish people, and that he was going to die by water. And so they said, okay, great, let's just drown all the babies and we'll, we'll you know, all the Jewish males and we'll, we'll get them that way. And what's fascinating is, is that Moshe Rabbeinu hits the rock later on, you know, at the end of his life when he's 120. And then God says, okay, you're not going into the land of Israel. And that essentially was his death sentence. And so he does die by water, but not the water that... So they were right and they were wrong, which is another excellent reason besides the fact that there's a Torah mitzvah not to see fortune tellers, not to see palm readers, not to see psychics. Besides the fact of that, that should be reason enough because God deliberately made it so that we don't know the future. That was God's plan. That's not a flaw in his plan. That was his plan that we don't know the future. He wants us to have amuna, belief. Okay, but if you need another reason not to go to them, even if they see it, they can absolutely tell you the wrong thing. They saw that it was going to be by water, but they misunderstood the very thing that they saw. So even if they actually do see something, which is, you know, most of them are all liars, but... Even if they do see something, they could absolutely tell you the wrong explanation of it, in which case it's, it's even more worthless. So, so he commands the, the heads of the midwives to kill the babies when they're born. So this is like this horrible conspiracy, and it's Miriam and Yocheved, who's um, 
of course, Moshe's mother and, and sister, who are the head midwives, because the Moshe's family was, was led by the leading family in Israel. His father was Amram, who was the head of the Jewish people at that point. And, um, and they ignore Pharaoh's plan. Even though he commands them, they ignore Pharaoh's plan, which again, another act of amazing courageousness, amazing courageousness. And the Torah explains, why did they ignore Pharaoh? And it says, because they feared God. And bless you. And I heard Reb Shlomo say something. Again, one of these like amazing teachings from Reb Shlomo, where he takes a mountain of information and, and, and condenses it into a few words. He says, okay, it says that they ignored Pharaoh because they feared God. So what's the definition of someone who fears God? Someone who's not afraid of human beings. You want, to, you want to be on that level? You want to be a Yerush a real Yerush Don't be afraid of other people. That's huge. That's like, <laughs> that, that's giant. That's giant. Now, as a reward, as a reward for, for, um, for, for Miriam and, and Yocheved doing what they did, it says that Hashem benefited them. And, I, and He built them houses. And sort of like all the commentary, commentary, commentators chime in. What does that mean, he built them houses? So the Rashbam says something very interesting. You know what the houses he built them was? Jail cells. <laughs> that was, but, but he seems to be in the minority. Most of the other commentators say, no, no, no. Houses means that he built them, you know, from Miriam comes, uh, she marries the leader of the tribe of Yehuda. And that's Malchus, that's the, the royal lineage, and eventually the, the messianic lineage of the Jewish people. And Yocheved is now the mother of the tribe of Levi. And so all the Kahanim and all the Malachim are basically, those are the houses, dynasties, okay? So these are very opposite kind of like understandings of what houses means. But anyway, the, what I'm going to focus in on is this idea that, that it says that God benefited them. In other words, like kind of rewarded them, right? He benefited them. And the Hebrew word that's used is vayetev. That means to benefit, okay? So, so I thought, wow, you know, if you rearrange the letters of vayetev, it, it begins with the letter vav. If you put it between the, the last two letters, tes and vez, you spell the word tov. And now the first two letters are yud, yud, and tov which means God is good. <laughs> so if you want to benefit someone, teach them about the goodness of God. That, that is the greatest way to benefit someone. Teach them that God is good. Because I'll tell you something. I heard Reb Shlomo say this, and it changed the course of my whole life in terms of at least everything that I try to teach, which is that um, he said the greatest Kiddush Hashem, the greatest sanctification of Hashem's name that a person can make is to tell them how close God is to them. Right? People, he said, intuitively understand that God is far away. But if you can communicate to them how close God is, right? Which, by the way, is not just sort of like a, a happy kind of like interpretation. That's shot. That's shot. That's, that's reality. We're engulfed in godliness. We're engulfed in godliness. But if I, in my own chutzpah, could, could add on to that, that the, that the next thing that we have to teach people is not just that God is close, that's enormous already, but that God is good. Now, Reb Shlomo already had that in mind, but, but I, I, at least the people that I interact with over the years, since that seems to be something of a surprising bit of information, or they didn't even consider it. So you are not just engulfed in God, you're engulfed in the goodness of God. And again, it's, it's, it's so important to understand that. You see, you have, you have, this, you have this name of God, Yudke Vavke, which stands for Rachman. But sometimes we're, we're using, without going into all the serufim and details and how it actually works, but sometimes we're dealing with the first letters and sometimes we're dealing with the last letters. Meaning to say that, that sometimes, whenever you have, uh, you see, the combination of Hashem's name for each month, there's 12 permutations for each, for, for one for each month, because you can make 12 
different variations of the ordering of the letters Yud and He and Vav and Ke. And each month has its own assignment. And that combination correlates with four words in a row from somewhere from Scripture, from somewhere from Tanakh. Okay? But sometimes the four words that that combination correlates with will be the first letter of those four words, and sometimes it will be the last letter of those four words. Now, if it's the last letter of those four words, it shows on something called din, which means judgment, which means that month, which that name correlates with, is a time where the energy is heavier. Sometimes it's with the first four letters of those words, which means it's coming down rachamim, a more revealed kind of sweetness. Okay? But you see, there is this concept. It's not just... You see, when we're talking about the goodness of God, we have to understand that we're not just talking about sometimes God reveals himself in this chesedic way, in this, in this kind, merciful way, and sometimes in this very judgmental way, like it's just hard times or war, God forbid, or something like that. We have to understand that when it comes down on the level of the last letters, that it's rachamim through din, See, this is what the Mayor of Hashemish explains. What that means is that when it correlates with the last letters, when it's a heavier time, so to speak, that doesn't mean that it's just a time of anger or a time, God forbid, of punishment. It's a time of kindness still because we're always still dealing with this essential structure of that name of God, which stands for kindness. But that kindness is being expressed in a tough love kind of way. So that's, that's very important. In other words, we've got two things on the menu, love and tough love. But it's both love. And it's both intended to manifest itself to the benefit of all of creation. So I'll give you um, some examples of, of that. In, in, and so just, just to make it real. Um, we were supposed to be in Egypt for 400 years. We get out after 210 years. Now, there's a simple way to explain that. You can say that um, we didn't get out, of, out after 210 years. Really, we did get out after 400 years, but it's just that you're, we're counting from the birth of Yitzchak. That's how the, you make the 400-year count work. But if you want to just count from the actual enslavement in Egypt itself, it was 210 years. Okay, so there are different ways to reconcile the different periods of time that we were enslaved within Egypt. But what a lot of the commentators say is that, no, 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 it really was supposed to be for 400 years. It was only 210 years because what God did was he compressed that time and made it harder for us. And so we got a lot done in a short period of time. So we got out sooner which was to our great benefit and to our survival, but it was much, much harder to do it much faster. So that is a classic example of Rachamim through Din, of God's merciful manifesting itself through toughness, through, through Din. You see? Now, what's fascinating, and the Meor Vishemesh brings this out, just a, a brilliant, brilliant um, understanding, is that he said that when Moshe shows up, the Jewish people were very smart, and they understood, like, okay, we, we are getting out, we know we're getting out, but how is God going to get us out? And so when they ask, it says, Moshe said to God, Behold, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, Take the God of your for, take um, the God of your forefathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, "What is his name? What shall I say to them?" So, what does it mean that they're asking, "What is what is his name?" They know they knew what God's name was. They, the, the Jewish people, it says, they didn't change their clothing, they didn't change their names, right? They Moshe Rabbeinu brought them Shabbos. They were keeping Shabbos during the enslavement. Okay, how, how did that happen? By the way, just good to know is that um, Moshe said to Paro before Moshe had to flee for his life. You know, remember, he's brought up in the royal palace. I mean, just to show you how amazing God is. 
he does this mass slaughter. Paro does this mass slaughter. It says that he bathed in the blood of Jewish babies. That's what the Medrash says. He does this mass slaughter of Jewish children. Listen to this. During the plague of frogs, right? All the frogs come out of the Nile, but but they heard this groaning of like frogs croaking. They heard groaning coming out of the Nile. The Egyptian people were freaked out. They thought those were the souls of the dead babies who had been drowned in the Nile, right? Crying out before the frogs started coming out. Okay, so. So he does this mass slaughter of children, and meanwhile he's raising as his son the person who he was trying to kill in the palace itself to just show you who God is, what God is, how it happens. Again, if you are living in Egypt, you think, okay, it's all over. Meanwhile, the Redeemer is being groomed by Paro himself in the palace. Redemption appearing, disappearing, you you don't know. But the storyline, there, there is a straight line to it. But if you think that the hummingbird is supposed to fly in a straight path, then you think, what's wrong with that bird? But that bird is the redemption. By the way, that's, that's me. Too. I'm, it doesn't say in Tanakh anywhere that comparing it to a hummingbird. That's my comparison. Just keep the sources straight. But, but that zigzagging thing is how it's supposed to happen. Then, then you don't get frustrated. If you know that, you don't get frustrated then you can stay in reality and understand and be patient and be smart and make smart decisions. So, so they say, they say, what is his name? Like they want to know. And if you look at the letters, and this is in um, chapter 3, verse 13 of Shmos, it says, Va'amruli, Mashmoma, Omar Alehem. If you look at these letters, Va'amruli, Mashmoma. Those four words, Li, Mashmoma. The last letter of those four words is Yudke Vavke. So, in other words, they were hinting at Tomosha. Or they, what the Torah is telling you is that. They wanted to know, is it going to be, the redemption going to have, happen on the level of the last letters, meaning, is it going to come through judgment? And then they say, then they ask again, because it says, Ekia Asher Ekia, which is another two names of God. And then Moshe Rabbeinu adds a third Ekia. So if you add up these three Ekias, it comes to 63, which is a variant of the Yudke Vavke, so Moshe Rabbeinu is bringing it back up to Chesed. The way it works, Yudke Vavke with 63 is if you spell it out, Yud, Yud Vav Dalet, and then uh, Hey Yud, Vav Aleph Vav, and Hey Yud. That adds up to 63, which is a name of a great Chesed. So, so there's you know so much depth to the Torah in terms of you have to understand what's going on with the first letters, with the last letters, with the middle letters, with everything going on. But this is, if you look at the, the Torah itself, it's such a tiny book. But when you start to learn Torahs like this, you realize how much is compacted in it. I, I always quote it, but I'm always reminded of something I learned in science one time, which is that a dwarf star, if you took a teaspoon of a dwarf star, it weighs billions of pounds. So what is, what is just a letter weigh from the Torah? How much is contained in a letter of the Torah? So there's a lot going on. Okay. So, so God is good and God is close. And God is everywhere. So with that in mind, how, how do we understand, how do we understand the assimilation that's happening today? Okay. Can I just switch, switch topics or perhaps deepen the topic. It's not really switching topics because it says that when the Jews left Egypt, 80% of the Jews stayed in Egypt and were lost in Egypt. And if you look, what is the, 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 the level of people who identify themselves as Jews today? It's, there's a, a massive, you know, like, 
you know, it's a painful comparison, but you know, if you look at these this, these global warming things, and you, every once in a while you read about these glaciers, where all of a sudden there's this, like it feels like an earthquake and a massive chunk, you know, breaks off the glacier and just kind of just swims into the ocean and it's just going to melt. You know, like what's happening with the Jewish people right now? You know, especially in America. There's as as I've referred to it many times, there's, there's this plague of ignorance going on. It's a, it's a plague. It's a plague of ignorance. Where it's, it's people are not consciously making a decision. They think they're consciously making the decision because they think that they have the, the facts that they need in front of them. And they do have facts in front of them. But it's, it's hard. You know, it's like, it's like, can you imagine someone says there's, there's there's no such thing as good Chinese food. And I know that because I've been to five bad Chinese restaurants. But they haven't been to a good Chinese restaurant. <laughs> they've been to a good Chinese restaurant, they'll know that, that there is good Chinese food. It's very hard. It's very hard to tell a person who's, been, who's tried it five times that they don't know what they're talking about. Because they do know what they're talking about. And it's disrespectful to say that they don't know what they're talking about. So, you know, like Rip Shlomo says, you know, what, what is the bottom line with a person, with a person who just hasn't, just doesn't connect, just doesn't connect? And he says that because at no point in their life have they been touched. Their heart was never opened. They never had that moment where someone loved them enough or cared for them enough or said, said it beautifully enough or clearly enough or relevantly enough that they went, ah, okay, now I get it, now I get it, now I get it. So that's kind of like in, what I just said is kind of like an old school way of looking at assimilation. Now I want to give you a radical new perspective on assimilation. Okay. So this um, came out of a conversation that I was having with one of the Roshi Yeshivas of YU this past week. Rabbi Reichman. And, and uh, it's, it's, my, it's my thought, but it was kind of based on this conversation. So, so Chazal, our rabbis teach the following, that that when Mashiach comes, that basically we're going to forget, basically, about the redemption from Egypt. Meaning to say that the miracles of the Messianic era are going to be so great that, that, the, that the salvation from, from Egypt is not really going to really seem as, as epic anymore. We're, we're going to forget, essentially. It won't have the same prominence. Uh, I'll put it to you another way. We'll, we'll, we'll wait on that a second. You see, we're in a messianic era right now. What stage of it, I have no idea. But we're definitely getting toward, getting toward the end. And a lot of that energy that Mashiachtic energy is already in the air. Right? I mean, if you just look in the Arab world, for instance, I mean, it's, it's, it's taken a very radicalized, very violent manifestation, but you, but you see this end-of-days consciousness is, is in the air. Right? And by the way, there doesn't have to be, there doesn't have to be an apocalypse or gogumagag or whatever it is. Remember, a very important foundation for understanding Torah is that all of the good prophecies have to happen, none of the bad prophecies have to happen. That's actually Torah. Okay? It just depends on what level we're on. And to understand sort of like the idea of the redemption on a, a level of science or physics, if you will, there's a higher order of light that's going to be coming down into the world. Now, if there are vessels for that light, 
Meaning to say, if we've transformed ourselves as people and, and as a society and as a world, we'll have vessels to hold that light. And it will be a very smooth sort of like flowing down. Right? But if there are no vessels to hold that light, in other words, if we're in this state of constricted consciousness and hatred, then that light is going to barge into this world and it will be very disruptive. And it will manifest itself in this apocalyptic type of way. Do you understand? So ultimately, this is up to us. Whether So whenever we talk about things like, and they're very sort of, potentially spooky terms and scary terms, end of days, you know, apocalypse, you know, you know, whatever it is. But it doesn't, that, there's no, there's no, there's no mandate for that. It can be the smoothest, most beautiful thing in the world. But it's, it's ultimately based on, are we loving each other or not? That's, that's, that's what it's about. But that energy and that oneness is entering into the world. As we've talked about, look how, you can fly from one world, one side of the world to the other in, 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 in a few hours right now. Never has the world been as united and one global village as it is right now. It's never happened before. All the economies are tied together. A tiny economy like in Greece can submarine the entire world economy. That's never happened before. And the example that I also love on Facebook Okay, you can argue whether, is that really a friend? Is not, that not a friend? It doesn't matter. A billion people are friends. So you have this, and all of the memory of world history and world civilization, the totality of it, can be called up in nanoseconds. Right? We, you know, we think about like the great library in Alexandria that burned down. Like, what was contained in that? What's contained in your pocket right now? A thousand libraries of Alexandria. And it's not burning down. It's, 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 it's palpable. It's palpable. It's, it's in front of us. When, how, I don't know. But, but, but it's here. That energy is here. So now, let's get back to the point. It says we're going to forget about Egypt, basically. Right? It's not going to have its prominence. That means a certain forgetfulness enters into the world when Mashiach comes. Now, a lot of times what ties people to their Judaism today is pain and suffering and hardship and its burden. Why are you Jewish? I'm Jewish because my dad was Jewish, because my mom was Jewish, because my grandparents were Jewish. I got to do this. If I don't do this, like, it just, uh, whatever. You happy about doing it? I couldn't be less happy about doing it, but that's the reality. So then either I'm going to do it with a frown on my face and begrudgingly, which that's very hard to pass on to the next generation, or I'm going to just check out entirely, you know, because that other religion, which asked me to do absolutely nothing, seems very appealing, you know? So, so you got a lot of that going on. Or I just don't believe this stuff anymore. It's all hocus-pocus, whatever it is. So, Reb Shlomo talks about that there are two types of healing. There's Shabbos healing and Mashiach healing. What's the difference? Listen to this. Fascinating. Shabbos healing is on the level that a person was sick and now they're better. Right? Because you've got the week and you've got Shabbos. He says, listen to this. Unbelievable teaching. Mashiach healing is a person was sick and they don't, and now they're better and they don't even remember that they were ever sick. That's Mashiach healing. And you see, in this level of healing, this is a, like very much in keeping with what Chazal is saying about our recollection of Egypt. Meaning to say, we, we're, we forget it. We're, we're forgetting on some level. All right. Now, I want to give you a visualization to connect all of these things and really, really make it real, I hope which is that of a trapeze artist, okay? Now, you had this family called the Flying, Flying Willendas, who were like the royal family of the circus, basically, for generations, okay? Now, what, what is it about a trapeze artist? Why, why does it look like he's flying? See, because what happens is, is that you're, you're holding on to something, 
and you let go of it, and you swing in the air toward this new thing that's coming towards you, and then that's how you do it. You let go of the past, and you go toward the future. See, but there's so many people that don't understand what our vision for the future is. You see, this person who says, I got to be a Jew because my, my father was a Jew, my mother was a Jew, my grandparents were Jews, right? And that's why I'm Jewish. So I heard Rabbi Freeman say that if you went up to, if you went up to Abraham Avinu and you asked him, why are you Jewish? Do you think he would tell you, I'm Jewish because my father was Jewish and because my grandfather was Jewish and I've got to do this? Abraham and Sarah would tell you a vision for the future. And they're the ones who started this. So we've got to like really take their vision very, very seriously. In other words, Judaism is a forward-looking tradition which is talking about completing the world. A world without hunger, a world without war. A world with total clarity, a world where the heart and the mind are together. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. And we need that vision for the future. Otherwise, what happens is that when this messianic energy enters into the world and you forget your pain and you let go of the past, but you haven't got anything to grab onto in the future, you plummet downwards. The Gomorrah Menachos says that God created this world with the letter Hay, and that those who are unworthy fall through the bottom of the letter Hay. Right? But there's a little opening at top. You can get back in. But that's the whole trapeze kind of thing. This energy, this healing energy is entering into the world right now, causing us to forget our pain, right? Like the Katskarebi says, God put forgetfulness into the world so that you can forget about the troubles of the world. But we use it to forget God? Right? That's like a searing, that's a searing thought. But again, that trapeze artist, you let go of the past, which can be a blessing, not to be mired in pain anymore on a personal level or even on a traumatic national level. But unless you've got that vision of the future, you just plummet. So, so God should bless us. We should understand, we should understand that there are massive opportunities going on right now. Massive shifts going on right now, right? We said that we're going from Teves into Shvat, which is the heart and the mind are together right now. This is this is a time of clarity right now, time of real opportunity. But a time to have the clarity of what we're heading toward and what we need to head toward, and to head toward that thing in a beautiful way, with sweetness and with love.